Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello, welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, we're doing a listener's questions episode, answering some of the common questions we get and going through the points one by one. There's about four questions we've picked. Anyway, let's get started. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Good afternoon, my brother. How are you? And where are you this fine afternoon? I, well, I'm in England in a multi-story car park doing the podcast. It's the life of glamour that you lead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'd like to say I'm in a professional Hannah Fidelity studio, but no, I'm sat in my car and I've come out, I've had to come under a car park because it's raining and I sometimes do the podcast in the car. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect well, you've got sound a Tesla. quality. I've never, you know, I've never been in a Tesla. I don't think I have. Maybe I've Is sat that- in one. Did they have them in one. New Zealand? Well, when they, when they first came out, I went, they like V eight, uh, V eight petrol engines. No, no, it's not. It's they like um, like turbocharged two liters. Are they? When I was there, I mean, I don't know. They did no fifteen. When years they first ago. came out, when they first came out to New Zealand, like the first one in New Zealand came, and we, I was at the Ice House, and we all went down. The Ice House is like a. Um, kind of startup incubator in, in in Auckland and we all went down and sat in it and some people went down and it was this new thing but that was it that's just that's the last time I was in a Tesla and now you get to ride one every day I do you know? it's mm. kind of naught yeah it's good great yeah I have, on the other hand I've got a I've got a VW California um which is the camper van and you know what they pretty much I think it's pretty much what I could sell it for what I bought it for like uh, five years ago, the prices of yeah, them. Wow! You know, it's, it's it. fantastic. No, because then <laughs> I have to get another one. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, we, we're talking. We're going to do a listeners' questions uh, episode today because we haven't. I was looking. We haven't done one for a while, um, so I've been reaching out to people's questions. Also, questions that I've been personally having uh, uh, over the past few weeks um, that have been coming up over again. We've got four questions. And, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of off the moment. They, these kind of episodes seem to be quite popular. Um, so let's, uh, let's get started. Are you ready, Ian? I am. Let's do it. Okay. I don't know what these questions are going to be, so let's see. Well, I did tell you before. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so, so Jane, she sells boxing gear in, in, in Yorkshire. Uh, she says she's already hitting her benchmarks, like the add to basket rate um, is, let me see, um, about 11%. And the basket to order rate is also 50%. Um, but she's not turning over enough and she wants to grow. So, mm. you know, what, what, should, what should she do? So she's, so she's got a pretty decent, com- she's, she's hitting the benchmark, so she'll, be got, she'll have a high conversion rate. So she'll be up there like five and a half, probably more. Mm. Um, to near a six percent. Well, you can work so, out the conversion rate because it's ten. Whatever I said times each other. We said eleven. We so. said eleven, which makes it more complicated. But basically, like a, it's going to be hard. Yeah. So she'll be on. What's she going to be on? Um, about five, five point five conversion rate. Five point five percent. Five and a half. So yeah. she's pretty high. So, the, I mean, the first thing I would say, whenever somebody comes to me with a high conversion rate on the e-commerce store, um, I'd say, well, you know, are you putting the business under enough pressure? Mm. You know, is, is she is she closing the door? I mean, if this was a physical bricks and mortar store, you'd know the equivalent would be, are you shutting the door when you've got customers outside? You know, yeah. could you open the door for long? Could you open the store for longer? Um, you know, could you be like if you were a supermarket, you could say, well, I could open it for 24 hours. You know, can you can you put the business under more pressure? Because having a high conversion rate is a bit like boasting you've got a high ROAS. 
you know, if you have, if your if your return on ad spend is too high and your conversion rate is too high, you you're leaving money on the table because you could put the business under more pressure. So that'll be well, the it, first thing. Well, the to thing think is, if about. you think about, yeah, if you think about it, a high conversion rate, it doesn't, it isn't, it isn't, it's meaningless. Let's say you had a shop, a physical shop, a clothes shop, and you said, you know. Like it, loads of people coming in the store and you, your conversion rate's really low because people are just coming in the store, not doing it. Let's say you only let in your 10 best customers. If you only let in your 10 best customers, your conversion rate is going to be really, really high because mm. they're all going to buy. So, you know, it's like any business. If they turned off all their paid advertising and only let people come to the website that, that Googled them, you know, so Googled Mark and Hammersley's um, shoe shop. My conversion rate would go through the, through the roof because the only people seeking me out are the people who want to actually buy something. So the conversion rate is um, kind of like a mis misnomer, a kind of like red herring sometimes in that, yes, it can be high, but it's, you, you need to understand what traffic it is high for and is that serving you? So what are you trying to get to? So that's the first conversation is what revenue do you want to, do you want to hit? Why do you want, what, what, how, what's your average yeah. order value? What, what, how many customers do you need to recruit? What's the lifetime value of a customer? And then you need to work out what the actual problem is. Because in that, in that statement there, you're saying, well, my ads basket's high, my basket order's high. There's no, nothing to fix there because there's no problem. The problem is that, the, that she's not growing enough and she's not growing enough because she's obviously not getting enough traffic to the site and therefore what the actual issue is, we haven't got a channel that we can convert. And, and as we add those other channels, then we're going to start to see what the business is under pressure from that new channel. So be it Google AdWords, Facebook, mm. those areas. And then we can have a discussion about the conversion rate because up until that point, it doesn't make any sense. And our, our analogy of, you know, we've got a sports car and we're going to drive it faster and faster and faster by putting more traffic in it until something breaks. And when something breaks, we then go and fix that. And then we can prove the conversion rate. So until you're putting your business under pressure, if you want to grow, you don't know what you've got to fix um, because it's hidden from you. Like in, in yeah. that business, it's completely hidden because you've got great customers coming and buying from you, which is not, not something to complain about, but you, so you, it, you don't know what's wrong. It would, yeah, it would, be a, it would be a bit like having a physical bricks and mortar store and shutting the sh shutting the door on the shop mm. um and and peer and, and sort of peeping out of the door you know opening a little crack looking at who's out there and go uh yeah yeah you can come in you can come in mm. uh, but you can't come in no, no no you you can't come in and you're like well you don't you know the ones that you could have let in could have converted but you're you're not exp you're not you know they may not have converted but you're not putting the business under under enough pressure really conversion rate it's a funny thing Conversion rate rates, in some respects, are um, are irrelevant. Mm. You know what you're really looking for is, you know, can I grow this business profitably over a longer period of time? You know, so it does t very much tie into the goal because you know you want to improve in conversion rates. Yeah, shut the door, shut the shop door, and only mm. let your favourite customers in, like you said before. So, and I, I remember quite a few times, you know, I've had e-commerce managers. Or business owners boast that their conversion rate is really high. Um, you know, I remember, I remember a, um, a homeware company, and the uh, and the MD came to me and he said, "Oh, conversion rate seven percent, seven and a half percent." And I was like, "Well, really, that is pretty high." And he said, "Yeah, seven and a half percent. Yeah, we, we, you know, when we send the brochures, you know, we do a brochure drop, seven and a half percent." I'm like, "Well, it will be." Seven and a half percent. In fact, it probably should be higher than that because your your website in that case then becomes it's an it's an order taker. You know they decided what they want, looking in the brochure and the, you know they're putting in the you know the the, the product code in the search and they're and they're mm. buying. And if you take that away, if you take that motivated customer away, how does the website perform then? Yeah. Oh well. You yeah. Know, really think... badly. Probably converts about two. You know, one one percent. I so, think. Yeah. There was a, yeah, because there was a, we were talking about another customer said, like, well, we work with these people and their conversion rates 4%. He was like, ha, mine's 7%. I don't need your help. And it's like, well, you're not, you're not converting anything else apart from brochures. Yeah. And, you know, you're not converting other traffic. And it, it really, the conversion rate in that case is the conversion rate on the brochure because that's where the customer is absorbing. The brochure is 
you know, de facto a kind of static website that they're using to browse the website. So it's like, you're, it's like treating your conversion, your, your checkout page as, as the website and going, oh, my checkout has got 95% conversion rate. Thank you very much. And it's like, well, no, it's completely different. I mean, do you know what? Sometimes, sometimes just to elaborate on the point, which is a bit like, so like in the olden, I mean, not the olden days, but in the olden days, we did get more e-commerce businesses doing brochure drops, direct mail. Mm. And it, it did, it did, for a certain type of customer, it did work incredibly well. And what it meant was that the customer was much more warmed up than, you know, a, a cold traffic, you know, because to be flicking through the brochure, you know, and they decided what they wanted to buy. So when they came to the website, the website did convert, you know, much, much, much higher than if they'd come through perhaps Google Shop, where they just landed on the site for the first time. And so, you know, but you have to factor in the whole cost of that conversion, which, of course, mm -hmm. is the brochure itself. And I suppose that, you know, the, the, the equivalent thing that we see would be a, some, if a, it, well, I will say, basically, people are warmed up through social. So if they've, yeah. if they, if you've, yeah. if they've had a very good effective social campaign um, yeah, and they've done a lot of the pre-sales, you know, or through social media, and, you know, when they get to the website, the website basically is an order taker. And I think we see that with some, we're working with a trainer company, like a, like a really nice fashion brand of trainers at the moment. And, you know, it, the website really becomes, uh, is it in stock? When can I get it? What happens if I don't, yeah. um, what happens if I don't like it? I need to change the size, et cetera, et cetera. The sale is but done, isn't it? The sale is the done. The sale is done. And it's like, and it has to be done that way because, you know, they're selling these trainers for like $150, $200. Mm. Um, and they can't just plonk them on the website and think that people are going to come and magically rock up. because not, And also, they can't do Google Shopping. What are they going to do Google Shopping on? White trainer, you know? Mm. You know, white, white sports trainers. You know, it, it, it isn't going to work. They have to get people to Google the brand. How do they get people to Google the brand? Well, they've got to get people who are influencers to talk about it. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, so... The web, so when they actually do come to the website, they tend to convert relatively well. Yeah. Um, so the focus was what know, so we were saying, really. I mean, to Jane, who sells boxing gear, is is that you need to develop new channels. You need to develop new traffic, and yeah. then you need to kind of isolate those channels to understand what, how they're converting and optimize those. Because otherwise, you're just going to be repeated. You're going to be wherever you're getting customers from that pool of customers is too small for you to, to, to sustain your, uh, your growth goals. And, you know, you, you have to come down to that, that, and really the conversion rate, the add to basket rate, the basket to order, order rate, they are tools to help you optimize a channel. They're, they're not things that exist in a vacuum. You know, they, they are things that they're up to help you optimize once you're in the, in the, in the right way. And if you've got them, if you're doing everything right, then it's fine. Like, you know, if, if I'm on Google shopping and my ROAS target is above what I need it to be, then I don't care what my ads basket rate and conversion, uh, conversion rate is and my basket order rate is. It's just, it's just the business is working. It's only when I have an issue and I need one of my wheels starts falling off do I need to go and dive and start having a look at it. And yeah. um, that's when you do it. So if you've not got an issue with those things, it means that you've not... You, that, you, you you've, you're not pushing the business under a new traffic source yeah. um and and that's that's where you need to move if you want to grow you can't grow without traffic really you know you can grow yeah. your lifetime value to say, a certain point you know i say i'd say as well the other thing about if you see it in jane's position you know she might be getting a conversion rate of five and a half percent but actually Whenever I see a, a, high, a site that's got a reasonably high conversion rate, it can be that they've got a decent amount of, of, of repeat customers mm. coming back. And so the first thing you do is split, well, what's the, what's the new customer recruitment? You know, what's that? What are new, brand new customers converting mm. like? And what are the existing? So, you know, we were working with, um, with like a mm. company um like a couple of years ago and they had a conversion rate of i think about 14 percent yeah you know so the only reason they had that was because they had lots of existing customers coming back again and again and again and mm -hmm. again and so but if you looked at the new customer rec recruitment you know it was it was 
you know, pretty pretty much in line with what you'd expect, you know, maybe like one and a half, two percent. You know, so that so the, it was obviously existing customers to come back. But again, you know, what you go then is well if you get a conversion rate of you know, if you get loads of existing customers coming back and buying again and again, guess what? Normally means you can push the traffic a lot harder because it's worth doing it because they do come back. Yeah. You know, so it's again it is a traffic yeah. play. Yeah normally shall we go on to the next question yeah from david so david says hi i sell coffee tables and other similar furniture my add to basket seems all right but my basket to order rate is under 20 percent so you know just just so people okay. know so what basket is his order rate of 20 percent is very low um usually you see it between 35 percent and 50 percent usually is around where we'd expect it to be yes ian yeah so what do we know what david's add to basket is um yes we do hang on i was in the, in the email discussion um it was I yes know so his average, average order. order value was about 500 um 500 oh, okay. and hard. his uh, add to basket rate is around uh five percent which I think it's quite high for furniture, to be honest. Um, but mm. the basket. So the average order value probably dictates that. Well, I would say his add to basket's quite low, and his basket would order rate's quite low. But it, but with an average order value of five hundred pounds, probably to be expected. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I, I actually thought I know who this business is actually, and I thought you were going to say the add to basket rate was about eight and a half. Well, no, because I think I think with that you, you're not going to get it that that high with with furniture. I mean, it, you know, like let's say if it's a furniture site selling something for like one thousand five hundred pounds, for example, like a good add to basket rate in that industry would be like three and a half percent. You know, so it, you're gonna you're gonna see it come down. You're never yeah. going to get, and also furniture doesn't have a massive repeat business in it, so it does not got that tailwind in it. So I think a five point five percent for this business is, isn't isn't too bad but you, you but certainly certainly a 20 percent basket to order rate is low and yeah but, well because what i was going to yeah. say was that some if if you find that you're add to basket because there's other examples in fact there's another client this week that said my add to basket rate is okay yeah. but my basket to order rate is shocking yeah you know, and so so when we would say basket order rate's okay, so he was getting about a nine percent, eight percent out of basket, and the basket order rate was under twenty, it was nineteen. Mm. And what was happening in that in that regard is that people were using the basket like a dumping yeah. ground, like they were using it to add products to and then eliminate yeah. them. So, you know, it, it it was it was just the way people were shopping, and and because. You know, you'd argue, you'd argue that the business that you've mentioned before, where you've got an ad to basket of five percent, five and a half percent, and a basket to order rate of twenty, you'd argue that there's an over overall conversion rate challenge there. Yes, the average order value is five hundred pounds, but ultimately, if you want to get more out of your revenue, you're going to have to improve the conversion yeah. rate. So, like the one that I mentioned before, ad to basket of of eight and eight point eight. And and uh, basket to order of nineteen, you know what would we do? So, well, you know the first thing would be is to think that people are using they're adding multiple things to the basket and using it like a dumping ground. So they're not yet sure what to buy. So they're still deciding a bit on that discovery. So the first thing I would be trying to do is like for example on my a browser abandonment emails rather than just saying hey here's all the things you got in your basket you want to you want to move forward i'll probably be saying well here's there's an opportunity to 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 continue the discovery so i wouldn't just be saying here's the products in your basket i'd be saying here based on the things in your here's your basket but based on the things in your basket we think we might you might love to find inspiration in these other categories and these other products that would be something to do mm. as well you know, they may well likely they've not decided on what product they want to See, buy. See, for this one, for this one, um, I looked into, into a little bit de detail. This is furniture. And when you've got a high or, or an okay add to basket rate and a low basket to order, the first thing you need to do is to work out whether you've actually got a basket problem or whether it's a symptom of something else. So in this case, you know, what's the biggest, one of the biggest things that I teach for furniture is delivery, right? 
how much is delivery going to cost, how long it's going to take, and maybe what the returns are. So in, in this case, he's not being very explicit on the product page about how much delivery is going to cost. So therefore, a lot of people who are interested in it are adding to the basket to try and find out how much delivery is. And therefore, it makes it look like he's got a basket to order problem, but actually he's got an add to basket problem. Because what's happening is more people are adding to the basket who aren't ready to do so because they can't find the information they need. And also for the people who, for, let's, say, let's say, you know, 10% of the people who want to find out what shipping is actually add it to the basket and go through because you can only find that out on the checkout. You know, it's a long journey. Probably there's 90% of people who actually want to know how much it will be delivered, but don't bother to find out and don't add it to the basket yeah. in the first place. So you've really got to make sure that you don't have that issue in that people are adding to the basket just to find stuff that they should be able to see on the product page. And you'll see it on bigger sites where, you know, yes, sometimes you have delivery problems where you, you know, it's very specific to specific areas and specific weights and you can't work it out and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the time you can simplify it. And a lot of the time you can ask for the postcode or zip code on the product page and give them an, an estimate of what it's going to be. So bringing that information, particularly in furniture and those kind of things to the product page will actually show you your true stats. And it, I can't emphasize enough understanding what your true stats are in each area to make sure that when you're optimizing the basket, you're optimizing it for people who are motivated to buy, not for people who are just kind of there to have a look at and trying to separate those those mm. two out. Now, the other area... And also, I'd say... Sorry. Go on, I was just going to say... I was say... The, uh, well, I'd my turn. All right, you go. You go. Jesus, Corey, come on, what are you doing? Sorry. Let your brother speak. I would say that what I would do start straight away is decide whether or not they're getting stuck at the basket or they get stuck in the checkout. So I'd break down the basket to order standard two. Mm. How many people get how many get how many people go to the basket and how many people then go into checkout to order? So this guy's on Shopify, I think. Yeah. Memory. So, so he's got all that data there straight away, dead easy to see. Yeah. And then you could see if they are actually getting stuck in the checkout or they're getting stuck in the basket. That would be the obvious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding that yeah. through. And the, the other time that, that that the basket to order can be very low is if you've got a very like a young market. Like we've seen a lot of kind of fast fashion brands who have very low uh, basket order. And that, that seems to be because of what you say. They use, they just like to add lots of stuff to the basket and they don't necessarily want to buy it. And they'll like to come back to their, uh, their website and see what was in their basket from last time, almost like a wish list yeah. just to see what was there. And it's, there's not that much you can do about that. Like, um, obviously you can optimize things and you give people, you know, emails to say that thing in your basket is, is, you know, is about to be out of stock or there's going to be a price. There's going to be a price jump on this item. You want the basket or there's going to well, be a price, think, been a price drop and those I kind think, of things. I think the same things you do. We often find that one of the most neglected areas of the website is the, well, the whole thing, but the one of the things that we find <laughs> consistently neglected is the basket page. Um, and they, a lot of times on Shopify particularly, or all Magento or Big Commerce, you know, they use the sort of standard basket and there's nothing on it. It's like, there's the basket. It's almost just like a kind of transactional, functional page. And you think about all the things that people need to be reassured about. They need to know, well, is it in stock? Is it, what's the returns policy? Mm. You know, is it available next day? Um, you know, is there a guarantee? Is there trust and credibility? Is there evidence that people have bought before? Do you accept Apple Pay and blah, 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 and PayPal, et cetera, et cetera? Mm. You know, and, and all those things often are missed on the basket. And it's so stupid because it's like money for nothing. If you just put yourself in the scenario that somebody is, you know, they've added to basket, they're limited, they're deciding, should I, should I not, should I not? They can, and you know, and there's none of those things that are important that's showing. You know, those, and it should be little tips. So the same critical things you put on the product page you should be putting on the, on the, on the basket. And the other thing, of course, that, that really moves the needle more than anything, and it's something that Mark and I have been consistent with since the very first moment we set eyes on e-commerce at the dawn of time, is you've got to give people a reason to act today. So if there's no reason to act today, 
you find that people leave it in the basket and they think, oh, well, yeah, I'll come back to that next week. And they don't. Yeah. You know, because life gets in the way. Some other challenge comes. And like like we said, a lot of the times, most people's e-commerce stores are selling products that people don't really need. They want them, but they don't really need them. So they can probably make do with something else. There's also there's alternatives to you know to solve that problem. So you've got to give people a reason to act now. You know that's the offer architecture. Yeah. So I would I would do I would my, my default would be where is it? Are they getting stuck in the basket? Are they getting stuck in the checkout? Has my has my basket page got all the basic tick boxes that we talk about in the book? Like are we showing the returns policy, the next day delivery in stock? You know the guarantees, trust and credibility. Those fundamental things. If they're getting stuck in the checkout, then I'd say, well, it, what are they seeing in the check? And they're all dropping off in the checkout. We say, well, are they are they seeing delivery for the first time? Is that like, whoa, what is that? Seeing a fifty pound delivery charge or something like, that. you know? And they'd also look at the offer architecture. How can I get these people who are all the all? No, they're really almost buyers. They've added to basket. How can I get these people? And the only the only other thing I'd say about furniture is often the buying window is quite long, so they're taking a long time to make the decision to buy, and you often mm. need to put them in that little warm holding pen, and use email to flush out the almost buy over a two, three, four week period. And often it's trying to get that conversation around the dinner table. So look at yeah. this dining set, and it was look interesting because he's, he's, he's also selling he's also selling sofas, right? And I think they could be selling a lot more sofas. And, you know, what's the biggest anxiety about a sofa? And it takes, what, it takes about 45 days to choose a sofa. Biggest anxiety about a sofa is, is it comfortable? You don't care. It's not like, it's not like high fashion where you would wear, you know, like a woman would wear high heels and they're very uncomfortable, but because it's high fashion, she put up with it. You don't put up that with a sofa. You want it to look nice and be comfortable. Otherwise, it, it's not a sofa. And so... You know, yeah. you go and look at the Facebook ads and there's nothing there. There's no one, you know, like people. It's an interesting, I think anything you've got to sit on or lie on, you know, you've got to address the comfort. Yeah. If it's something you, if it's a piece of furniture you look at like a sideboard, you know, it's much more about the aesthetic and they're not as bothered about comfort. Obviously not bothered about comfort at all. Yeah. So, so you know, and how you find that out by looking at the reviews. But also, like you've seen, like I've seen lots of these. I've been doing lots of sofas. I don't know people who've been selling sofas have been coming to me talking about sofas recently. And I've been looking at the ads that are successful of them. And you'll go on the website and you'll say, "Oh, there's a, there's a video of the sofa," and literally it will be a video of someone panning around the sofa, and it's just panning around the sofa, and you're like going, "Just sit on it." Just sit on the sofa. Yeah. I want to see someone sit on the sofa. And it, like you can see that, uh, what was that sofa person that, that actually made not very good sofas, that there was a woman diving onto the sofa. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. You've obviously watched my video because we were talking yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. and I found day. that. And there was a really great, yeah, it was a great ad, wasn't there? Where, and it was a big, long sofa. And in sl- this woman ran and jumped and then in slow-mo landed yeah. beautifully horizontal on the sofa. And it was like set in a beautiful house, a little aspirational. But then you saw this woman, like you know, almost sinking into this wonderfully yeah. comfortable, luxurious sofa, and, was, and it just looked amazing. Didn't yeah, it? and there was a woman on a swing landing in the sofa. And it, was, it, was it Made in Sun? Because that's the one I could find on YouTube. Was that... I think it was. Yeah, yeah I think it was. Yeah. I mean, apparently they've got massive quality issues and. Uh, uh, you know, the reviews they, the someone said they so went good. bankrupt but is that right great ads it's made of some good well bankrupt. yeah or, well i don't know well i think there were, there's there's quite a few it's probably you can't say I they think, got made bad did, I mean, on a public fo- podcasting without even looking them up i mean we don't know anything about made it son i would to be honest no we don't we don't but the reviews were were not super no, apparently, Go eight, check it out. four point eight eight six reviews, one hundred seventy reviews on reviews.io. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, this is not one hundred seventy. Well, it. <laughs> I don't know. Let's not get into it. But the the idea was there's the the idea was that we wanted to see comfortable people sitting on sofas and jumping on sofas, and it's just nobody's doing it. Like if you sell mattresses, I want to see people 
jumping on the sofas and landing on them in slow motion. That's what yeah. I want to see. I don't want to see a, a video panning around the mattress. I'm like, I know it's a rectangular mattress. It's just I want to see something else that I can't see. You want to feel it and it's dynamic. And it, it just seems like there's... Yeah, well, it's the job yeah. to be done. It's the job to be done. What do they want? They want a, be- they want a beautiful looking sofa that look- looks amazing, but it's incredibly comfortable that will last for 25 yeah. years. What do they hate? An ugly-looking sofa that's really uncomfortable, that breaks, and it's not durable, mm. and it'll, it'll fall apart. Like, so therefore, you push those two things. You can't just ignore comfort, no. can you? You better delete that bit on the podcast. No, now. it's in. We do no editing. <laughs> uh, no editing. Um, what, we're going to get sued? We didn't say anything. All you said was that you'd heard they got some bad reviews, and, like, that's... That's not going to be factually inaccurate, is it? I mean, the, the chances are that having 100% good reviews forever is uh, uh, is is unlikely to be untrue. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, come and work with us. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the third question is uh, from Charlotte. She says, my revenue is roughly a few million a year, but my margin is only 20%. How do I get my lifetime customer value up? So sometimes businesses that have very low margins, an example of that is someone who sells power tools or something where you're selling other people's products, but the margin is very, very controlled. So you can have very low average order value, uh, very low product margin. And because everybody else is in the same market, your Google AdWords ROAS will tend to be very high because you know I've seen ROAS is typically like 20, 20 or 2,000%, which is, you know, normally unheard of in e-commerce. But because the margins are so slow, it, um, it, it dictates what people can pay per click. Now, there's a little bit of a, I guess, caveat to this one is that she says, how do I get lifetime value up? And the thing is, when you've got low margin, if you look at our margin calculator sheet um, and you start increasing the lifetime customer value when you've got a low margin, it doesn't actually make the difference to your profit that you make at the company that much because the margin you make on the second sale is still really rubbish, you know? So it doesn't help you actually make a profit. What you actually want to do is you want to try and find a, basically what we call the back end of the business. So um, I was speaking to a guy that sells mowers just this morning. He sells lawn mowers. And, you know, similar thing there that they've got very low margin on, on the lawnmowers. And but if he could find something to sell on the second sale that was higher margin, it was like maybe a storage box for the garden or something that doesn't have a brand. Um, you know, even and people made a lot of money from like fake grass and stuff like that. But like if he could have something that you could sell to your existing customer list that is not dictated to by that low margin you've effectively won the game because you're going to be going up against people like Moa's Direct, who I think have been gone bankrupt a couple of times. And, you know, they're just kind of in that, in that area where they're, they're, they're struggling by margin. If you're going up against people like that and then you're selling something on the back end of the business that's maybe got like a 70% margin, something like a storage box or some maybe sparkly lights for the garden or something like that. Maybe you're doing a bit of a collab with somebody on something. You've got a completely different value proposition to the other competitors. And you can say, well, my lifetime customer value is this and my margin is not no longer 20%. It's on average, it's 40%. And you can just go and completely clean up that market. So mm. you've got to be very careful what you sell to your, if you've got a very low margin on the front end, what you sell to existing customers. Now, of course, you're not going to stop people buying again on the 20% because you want that money that's coming in. It's still 20%. But ultimately, if you can create that back end of the business that works really, really well, like, that's why people in the UK always try and sell you the uh, the insurance on the, the electronics you sell because it's massively high margin. You know, they'll sell you like a, a Sonos speakers or something like that. They won't, the, the margin on that will be tightly controlled. But if they can sell you a care plan for it, the margin on that will be massive because that's where they make the money. And so you really want to be careful what you want to sell for the second sale 
because uh, you, you want to not necessarily get your lifetime customer value up. You want to get your lifetime customer profit up. Does that make sense, Ian? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I know. I, know that I think, you know, was with a client the other day. We were talking about, I think their margin was about 34%. And we said, look, really, you know, if we want, if we want to scale this business, have to, you have to get your overall average margin up to 39% by the end of the year. And then by the year after that, we wanted to be up to 46%. And the only way they were going to do that was by was by slowly introducing other products into the mix that had a higher, mar higher margin. And then we said, well, um, well, what can we, you know, we, obviously you have recruitment products and retention products. So you're talking about a retention product that has a higher margin. You know, and the reason why we'd want to do it is because Offensive that that business there, Charlotte, yeah. to say, yeah, she's probably got, she's probably hit the glass ceiling, in that she can't recruit any more customers profitably mm. because she's stuck. You know, she's doing two million. She got a margin twenty percent, which means she's really tight. I don't know what her average order value is, but you know, you know, if she's if she's not there already, she's damn well close mm. in terms of hitting that glass ceiling and getting stuck. And then you say, well, okay, she's stuck. I'm doing two million. My margin twenty percent. And let's assume, let's assume that she can't change that margin. It's twenty percent. You know, on the core product she's recruiting mm. on, it's you know, it's fixed. Then what she, well, she's obviously got average order value, lifetime customer value, and conversion to play with. So we then assume, well, conversion rate fixed. We can't that everything's done. Well, that's never really happens. But she's got average order value, but. You know, she's got average order value and lifetime customer value. So in that in that case, obviously we're assuming she can't pull in pull any of the other metrics. Yeah. You know, if it is lifetime customer value. Yeah. I, you know, I always actually think lifetime customer value is something that because like the average the average e-commerce site, average lifetime customer value in a twelve month period is one point two. Mm. Like it's really low. Like on average, only people only buy one point two times a year. So. If you think about it, you know, if you're competing in an industry and everybody's got a lifetime customer value of 1.2 and then you can come out with a real kick-ass lifetime customer value strategy because you've brought, you've brought another product mm. in, not only, and you, let's say you get your lifetime customer value up to like an average of 1.6 times a year, and it's also amazing margin. You're like, guess what? You can outperform and outbid everybody in your industry because you can be much, much more aggressive with your advertising. And they'll look at you going, how the hell are they affording to do that? Like, we can't even buy that product. How are, you know, everyone's buying at the same price. How the hell, and what they won't realize is that you've got a magic wand because you've got lifetime customer values of 1.6 and they're around 1.2. Massive difference to your ability mm. to going aggressively well that was um, suck up that, that was market. looking at that um you know that lady we're working with in america who sells those those mats those floor mats for um uh, yeah. different stuff she's got a very good margin and it's above i don't know like 60 70 percent something like that and you, you put it into the margin calculator sheet and you go if we can get this lifetime value up by just 20 percent the amount of profit that comes out of this business is is almost on on speed it's just crazy that, that, that what happens is. and so therefore you go gosh high margin massively focus on you know the getting the second sale put the incentives in there to do that and that's really you just you're just going to completely milk the market and then they, then you start turning around to the front end of the business and you go gosh we're making so much money on the back end how much how much customers new customers do we want to put into the front end of it and you go gosh we can double the amount of customers coming in and it starts to work really, really well. So it's just interesting. You've got to, I mean, I really love the margin calculator sheet. It's very basic. I mean, we were talking about it before and how we could make it, you know, put it, I've put in returns now and I've, you were saying about um, product margins and stuff. But at the same time, it's it, just keeping it simple. It just gives you a very quick mental model to understand how your business works when your margin is at a certain level and what you need to do. Because mm. Do you know what? It's funny. I'd say one little thing. I, I, often we get asked about um, to do Chrome, mm. you know, conversion rate optimization, and and sometimes we get asked to to do a crow only, you know, piece of work. You know, to I and mean, we've done this for people like Naked Wise before, and um, you know, and I, I kind of like sometimes cringe. I look at businesses and they go, no amount of crow that you're going to do 
And this isn't what people want to hear. <laughs> but no amount of crow can merge around optimization service, you know, for however much you're paying, 5, 10, 20 grand a month, whatever it is, is going to solve the fundamental problem that your margin is 20%, your lifetime customer value is 1%, and your average order value is £50. Pounds. Like, no, there's nothing you can do with Crow that is going to make a difference. Mm. Like, you've got to go back and look at your lifetime customer value or your average order value or your margin. And, like, that's where you're going to get massive game changes of growth. I'm not saying this is the case for everybody. Sometimes you can get great gains. Oh, cr- I mean, crow's a great thing to do. Crow's a great thing to do, but it's it but it's, it's only going to be. It is great. You know, it, but, it's if your problem is outside of that, it's not going to fix it. Well, I just think I think that you have to do crow in conjunction with looking at the fundamental maths of your business. You know, and if you do that. At the same time, if you go, oh my God, we can get a lifetime customer value from 1 to 1.7 by product, retention products, then, you know, you, and, you, and, you, and you, hit, you, hit, you hit Crow as well, great. But if you just think Crow is going to fundamentally get you out of a hole, your math don't work. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to be disappointed. Okay, last question. Last question. Um, and this was it's from quite a few different people actually that's kind of like amalgamated and and, and it's like why did companies like made.com cox and cox um go into receivership um you know why are they going into mm. receivership um you know cox and cox is one that yeah. we've talked a lot about in the podcast because we, we worked with them right when they first yeah. started out when you know they were maybe it's probably even yeah gosh it was before you'd even had your kids um wasn't it so you and your children are 13 yeah. so you know oh yeah well they were doing i think they were doing i think they were doing about five million when we first yeah. met them and it was an interesting story because they were stuck they were stuck at five yeah. million and they, they you know they'd hit they'd hit a glass thing and they couldn't recruit any new customers profitably because their average order value was was really low um so that was interesting but anyway i mean it's sad it's sad what's happened but um, there seems to be quite a few furniture related, and it's and I think the reason why the furniture related businesses were struggling, like, well, Made.com and Cox and Cox, I think was the same, mm. same issue, and effectively, what happened was their gross profit declined, and it happened because the containers went up, the cost of containers went up massively. So during the pandemic and coming, you know, within the middle and towards the end of the pandemic, they the containers shipping costs kept, went from like you know let's let's call it simple math two thousand dollars a mm. container, and it went up to like twenty thousand yeah. dollars. So you know it times by ten, and the problem with businesses like Made and Cox and Cox was their their it, it's what we call the shipping air. Yeah. So the sending you know, $25,000, worth of, of goods in one container. Whereas if you if you can tightly pack something, you know, you can send like $250,000, $300,000. Like in, in the demo store, the bedding, mm. you know, you know, you can fit $250,000 in a container, whereas May could only fit like, you know, a small amount. And the same thing with, with Cox and Cox. And so I think that affected, and obviously they passed some of that cost onto the customer, but then also... Goods again got stuck at the port. Yeah, they had that huge problem so, with the. They, you know, all the reviews were like one out of five. They'd sold a lot yeah. of stuff. No one yeah. could get hold of the stuff. So basically, so but they had loads of people place loads of orders. They had a massive backlog. They have thousands and thousands of orders that, that that people were waiting for stuff, and they had they had stuff stuck at shipping. They had they had you know there was there were boats stuck in the Suez mm. Canal. You know, there was there was stuff stuck in China, and because they couldn't ship it because everyone had COVID again, and people started canceling their orders. Yeah, and that that obviously affected, uh, and they committed. You know, stock was on the sea. Mm. You know, or it was in the ports, or it was just coming in the warehouse. So obviously, that that affected gross margin as well. But interesting, they must have gone, um, and the problem was they, they must have gone. Of, yeah, but they must have cash. gone through that. They must have gone through that. They must have kind of thing. And then you know, but why? Why now? Why in March? What was this final thing? I mean, I guess it was just they were just on the edge 
from all those problems. And then February was a bit weak, wasn't it? February was quite a weak um, yeah. February because it was like it was. I keep saying yeah. this is the first normal February we had for maybe four or five years, and it was probably just too much and just pushed them over the edge and the, just no cash flow and that's what happened. Um, and it because they're already weakened yeah. and and you've seen that um, for a couple of people and and in, and Jules as Jules went bankrupt, didn't they as well? And it, I think the, the, what's what's interesting to mention as well. And, and, you know, we've run businesses like this. We've run businesses like when we first started running the, the agency, the, the Smarty Business Agency, you know, every year we grew and we, it was easy to grow. We would like go from, you know, one members of staff, two members of staff, three members of staff, and we grew and we grew, grew and grew. And then, you know, when you get to a certain size, you can't grow at that level every year you just can't it's just not and so it becomes lumpy and you start to have to re- you have to work out how to grow as a business and also how to contract at times because that's what a business does when it's mature and it's a lot harder to to contract a business than to grow a business particularly if you've always been growing and if you look at all these e-commerce sites they've always always been growing for the past 10 years like it's what they do. They 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 put more stock in. They get more customers in. They grow and all that kind of stuff. And then they massively grew through COVID. And then suddenly, they were asked to contract, and they'd never been asked to contract ever before, because that was not something. I mean, it was new. E-commerce was new. Well, I think you know? I yeah, and I think they they you know I mean you know we don't know the ins and outs of the accounts, but what 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 it looks like was that they. They they didn't have the cash flow to sustain the the the, the increase of the cost of the containers and the and the and the cancelled mm. orders, you know, and if, and then if it obviously affected their reviews and people lost confidence, um, and 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 they also they had like they had like and I think the other, they also did expanded during COVID because they were like oh my god the, you know amazing mm. growth. You know, and they bought different warehouses, and they really invested heavily in stock. Um, and they and they couldn't sell. They had stuff that they couldn't sell. They had garden stuff they couldn't sell. So, it, but like, it's like, okay, well, what what message is that? What message are we giving the market? And like, what do we think about that? And and I mean, obviously, you know, there is there is an element to say, make sure you have the cash flow to sustain the growth um and be ready but it also is like my opinion is we grew a lot of econ businesses very fast at the back end of the last financial crisis which was like 2008 2009 you know when that happened um we we found that we could take businesses that were doing a couple of million you know five million to and we could get them to grow quite quickly because the marketing spend went much further. So there were still people buying online and it was a chance to be disruptive. It was a chance to mix things up and actually go after the big boys because there was a lot of people who were looking for different e-commerce brands to buy from during that time particularly. And I think had had we not seized that opportunity and we just sort of, we, we were a bit more cautious I mean, there's lots of people who are much more, much cleverer than me that will say, you know, the best time to go and grow your business is to, is to spend big when the market's contracting because you get a much greater share of voice for your dollar. Mm-hmm. But know? also think about these big, these you know, big so, players that are exiting the market. You know, the sofa market may just disappear. It's just quite big, isn't it? I mean, it's like... It's like you go into the supermarkets yeah. and then suddenly Tesco's not being there and you've got, you know, Sainsbury's is going to be a bit lot yeah. busier, isn't it? It's just, it's just the way it works because, um, you know, having these big exits, exiting stage, stage left, you know, it's just, it is big. Um, and I think that there's, there's opportunities there. And, and I think that those companies that have grown, 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 and then over leveraged themselves, because they've been in a, in, a, in a market that's always grown. And it actually shocked me quite a lot when we came out of the COVID. And there was a like really big um, 
homeware company we were working with at the time and they went to seriously huge millions during things and then they came out of it and they were shocked that it had gone down and i was just like how could you not realize this was a one-off thing that people were stuck in their houses and they were going to buy homeware and then after that they 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 wouldn't continue to shops Shops have opened opened. it just like yeah uh, that was extraordinary yeah it was extraordinary and it's like I you know, a lot it, of businesses. Just, it, it, yeah. it, they just expected, they thought, oh, now we've made it. It's all because of us. It's all because we're geniuses and this is going to, it's, it's going to stay. And then like the floor kind of fell away from them and they kind of went, oh, oh, hang on a minute. People aren't buying so much stuff for the home as, as much as stuff. And, and to be honest, a lot of them came out of it way higher than they went out of it. I mean, they didn't, they didn't continue. They didn't hold all the growth. They yeah. came out higher, but it's it, in their mind. They were a 10 million pound business, $10 million business, but now they were selling 5 million. And it was like before they were selling two and a half, but it was like an ego thing. They were like, Oh God, I want to do 5 million. I'm a $10 million business, you know? And it's, 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 it's weird how the human mind works. Well, consequently, what, yeah, consequently they, they increased their, um, their mm. debt, didn't they? I mean, they were, you know, businesses were people, you know, they invested heavily. Let's go and get actually, that. That's key. Way. Actually, that's what yeah, happened to a lot of people sharing. because they'd done 10 million during COVID, during the lockdowns, and then they'd gone down to 5 million. Well, they, they were not just cost. that. In their mind, they wanted to keep the growth, and they all turned to paid advertising mm. and spent more on paid advertising to try and get what they'd had, to try and get it back. Whereas if they, before COVID, they would have never spent that much that, that quickly if they hadn't already tasted yeah. the bigger business. They were clinging, trying to cling on yeah. to the growth, yeah. weren't they? Trying to cling on, and, and obviously there was a lot more competition. So it was mm. a shame. It was a shame. I mean, you know, they've been bought out, um, you know, cost to cox, and you know, I'm sure that I'm sure. I don't know whether. I mean, are the original um, people we used you know, to work with still there, or are they long gone? I don't know. I don't know. No, yeah, I don't probably, know. we are talking like 15 years. Ago. <laughs> exchange um, yeah. anyway thank you very much Ian I better let you drive drive home and um, yeah. thank you for the discussion and, uh, look forward to speaking to you all soon thank you very much cheers bye bye bye